0: It's easy to be surprised by the history in your own backyard, even if you're a historic preservationist. Nathan Denny's, the chairperson and founder of the Greater Hamden Heritage Alliance, joined me to talk about his group's effort to save the stories and places of Baltimore's own Hamden-Woodbury neighborhood. We trace the history of the many historic mill buildings that have been repurposed along the Jones Falls, as well as Nathan's predictions and hopes for the future of one of Baltimore's most iconic neighborhoods. Hamden-Woodbury isn't just home to the Baltimore HunFest. It's also Preservation Maryland's home, and this is PreserveCast.
1: From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast.
0: Oh, my man. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. We're joined today in studio here in Baltimore by Nathan Denny's, who is the chairperson and founder of the Greater Hamden Heritage Alliance, a volunteer-led community preservation group whose mission is to save the stories and places of the Hamden-Woodbury neighborhood. Nathan works for AIA Baltimore and the Baltimore Architecture Foundation, where he manages communications and public programs. But his true love is the Hamden-Woodbury neighborhood, where he moved nearly six years ago. And he's currently working with Preservation Maryland as well as Baltimore Heritage, the citywide preservation group, to create a wayfinding signage plan and exhibit for the historic mill locations in the Jones Falls Valley. Nathan, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Nick. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? It's always fun to hear about how people get involved in history, preservation, architecture, and you're involved in all of those. So what got you interested in this kind of stuff?
1: Well, my my final year in college, I took an internship with Baltimore Heritage, working on their Explore Baltimore Heritage website and app. So what I was doing was researching buildings around the city and writing stories about them. And I fell in love with it. It was so much fun. And then I got involved in Hamden uh, when I moved here about six years ago. And I noticed there were all these great historic buildings and we didn't have any stories on Explore Baltimore Heritage. So from there, I really started getting involved in looking into the history of this particular area.
0: And so where did you grow up? Are you from Baltimore?
1: Yeah, I'm from Baltimore County up in uh, Cockeysville.
0: Okay. So you grew up in the area. You're a lifelong Marylander. Oh, but yeah. Now you live, of course, in Hamden. So we've talked about it, but for those people who aren't from Maryland or perhaps have never been here, how would you describe what what is Hamden-Woodbury? What does that sort of neighborhood look like?
1: Yeah, well, it was originally part of the county. So when it was established in the 1840s, it was way outside in, in the country um, relative to the city. And it's remained uh, fairly suburban and it still has a very village-like feel, even though it's part of Baltimore City in the north of Baltimore. And it's part of a valley where a stream called the Jones Falls runs through. And the Jones Falls was the power source for all of the mills that were located in the area.
0: And so for someone who's never been here... Describe the kind of architecture that you'll see in this part of Baltimore, because people think Baltimore row houses, we have some of that, and then we have other things too here in this
1: neighborhood. It's, uh, it's very rural in terms of the architecture. There's the mill buildings, um, which are you know, industrial factories, and the homes that were built for the workers. The historic ones are these uh, gorgeous Gothic revival duplexes with the gingerbread on them and front and backyard. So it has this almost idyllic feel to it although it's uh, in the heart of Baltimore City.
0: And the industry is sort of central to the story. And I should also mention for people listening, we're actually recording this in the Hamden neighborhood. We're in one of the old mills. Preservation Maryland's offices are located in the old Meadow Mill, which is a 19th century mill that has been repurposed into office spaces now. So we sort of sit in the center of this industrial area. But describe what it was at its heyday, because there's really very little heavy industry left in, the, in this neighborhood anymore. The buildings are here. But what was it like back when it was really industrial?
1: When it was really industrial, uh, there were about 4,000 people employed working at the textile mills. And so we're in one of the Meadow Mill. And there are also the Mount Vernon Mills, just a little bit south from here. And also Woodbury Mill, which is just across the street. And so, it was a huge center of industry, one of the largest centers of industry outside of Baltimore City. There was also the Pool and Hunt Ironworks across the railroad tracks, too, which employed 800 people. So, this was a an area of really heavy industry. And the neighborhood itself grew out of the industry because the textile mill owners had to bring in a working population to work in these mills. So, they went out to the counties, went to Pennsylvania and uh, the Appalachian region to find workers, and they had to build housing for these workers to live in.
0: And so how long did that last? How long was it truly industrial in this area?
1: It really began in the 1840s. There was, a, there was some industry in the late 18th century with some flouring mills, but it was all very small. But it really took off beginning in the 1840s. And then its heyday lasted until about World War I, which is when things really started to drop off. And industry began moving either further south, where labor was cheaper, or overseas.
0: And so I mean for people who think of Baltimore and think of some of those those tough years in the late 20th century that the city went through did this neighborhood go through those did it did it miss some of that I mean industry obviously kind of fell apart and these buildings went vacant what would you have found if you were here and then late 1970s, 1980s?
1: It it was hit really hard here. After the textile mills began leaving in the early 20th century, the industry was replaced with new industries. So we got London Fog was one of them, made the signature raincoats Mm -hmm. here. And in the 1970s, the textile mill industry had completely evaporated. Um, The last textile mill closed down in the 1970s. And People for generations here worked in the mills. That was the only work that they, that they knew. And so people had to go outside of Hamden and find work, say at like Sparrows Point, if there was anything over there. But the, the entire neighborhood itself depended on that industry. The avenue, which is the main street of Hamden, catered to the working class population. So when people lost their jobs and were no longer working, the avenue fell in hard times, too. And so there was a large amount of abandonment. There was also a lot of uh, drug issues, uh, kids who weren't able to find work. Um, And the avenue was in really difficult times in that period in the 1970s. And what brought it back was in the 80s, new merchants started coming into the neighborhood, opening up like quirky sort of uh, artsy stores and uh, cafes. And this new population brought him back and it, it established this new identity that we have today, which is like this quirky, hip Main Street.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. So people who who aren't familiar with the Avenue now, it is sort of this quirky hip Main Street with a lot of weird things and fun places and, and, you know, good food and all that kind of stuff. And of course, we have sort of the Baltimore Hun um, that goes along with all of this. You want to tell our listeners what that is?
1: The Hun thing came out of Cafe Hun, Denise Denise Whiting. She she created this event called Hun Fest, which is celebrating this it's not really particular to Hamden, it's more of like a general Baltimore thing of like the, the working class woman with the big beehive hairdo who refers to people as, as a hun and <laughs> <laughs> wears ridiculous makeup and usually yeah. like a waitress in like a in a, a diner somewhere.
0: Yeah. And so this is sort of quintessential avenue kind of fun i mean sort of a quirky weird thing and it's an annual festival now too it is yeah yeah so the mills themselves you know they fell on hard times and then in the late 1980s some developers start moving in and thinking about reusing them what's the first to to be reutilized and and what do we have today now if you were to come to this mill valley
1: The first, I believe, was uh, Mill Center, and then shortly after that, Meadow Mill, which we're in right now, was renovated, and then uh, Mount Washington Mill. Those were the first three redevelopments of the mill buildings, and then it really picked up within the last decade or so when Pool and Hunt was renovated after that terrible fire in the 90s. It became Clipper Mill, and then within the span of a few years, we got Union Mill, which is across the street, and Mill Number 1 and Whitehall Mill. So we've been through this renaissance recently of these buildings being reused and converted into these great mixed-use developments, uh, offices, apartments. And also some industry has returned to the area too with Union Craft, with their brewing operation. Now they're moving into a plant that's like triple the size of where they're at. It's, it's a really good time uh, in the Valley.
0: I don't know if we're are we back up to the number of workers that we once <laughs> had before? do we know? I mean are we we must be getting close.
1: In terms of the industry now, I mean, it's mostly smaller industry here yeah. today. So union, union craft would be one of the uh, industries, and we have a, a bakery here in Meadow Mill, which is another one. Yeah.
0: But if you added up all the businesses, if you the weren't businesses. just looking at, at industry, or at least people living and working and playing down in this area, it's a pretty vibrant area. It now. is, yeah. And are there any mills left to rehab, or are we nearing completion?
1: There's one in particular, which is the Woodbury factory, which became the January Tire Factory. We were hopeful about that one being redeveloped uh, last year, and then it caught fire, and it's been on the market. So that its fate is still up in the air.
0: Yeah, but it's a pretty, I mean, really, it's nothing short of spectacular what's happened here in the last 30 years. Gone from total disinvestment and totally vacant to almost 100% in use.
1: Yeah, it makes it easy to be a preservation advocate. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Well, why don't we take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about your preservation advocacy and the group that you formed and, and what you're hopeful for for the future of this neighborhood. And we'll do that right here on PreserveCast.
2: And now it's time for a preservation explanation. Hello, listeners! For today's segment, I just wanted to give you a quick update on some of the most current preservation news. With the completion of the public comment period in 2017, advocates anticipate that Maryland's Mallows Bay, the location of a World War I era ghost fleet of ships, may be announced as a national marine sanctuary within the next two years. Back on October 26, 2017, the National Trust for Historic Preservation held a reception for the announcement of the inclusion of Mallows Bay into their national treasure's portfolio. Their recognition is a testament to the long-term efforts of Maryland archaeologists and advocates to establish the unique site as a national marine sanctuary. One of the last stages of the sanctuary designation process was a period of public comment after which the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, we will consider the application by the state of Maryland originally submitted in 2014. With all this news, I'm sure you want to learn a little bit more about Mallows Bay. Well, you can still catch an exhibit about Mallows Bay at the President Woodrow Wilson House in Washington, D.C. through February 2018. Or, you can always go back into the PreserveCast vault and listen to our interview with Dr. Susan Langley, the Maryland State Underwater Archaeologist, from our third ever episode. But... I should probably let you go so you can finish today's episode first. This is PreserveCast.
0: This week's episode of PreserveCast is brought to you by Preservation Maryland's Six to Fix. Six to Fix is an innovative program designed to help save threatened historic resources across our state. Preservation Maryland invests seed funding, expert professional staff, volunteer time, statewide advocacy, and outreach efforts to move projects towards a better state of preservation. Rather than creating lists of threatened buildings, we're doing something about it. If you'd like to make a difference, join the cause today by visiting sixtofix.org. There, you can learn more about the sites we've selected over the past few years and make a donation to help save Maryland's history and heritage. Together, we're making a difference and saving the very best of Maryland. Do you have questions? We may have answers. If at any point during this podcast, you've thought of a question that you have for us or maybe one of our guests, we'd love to hear about it. You can send an email to podcast at presmd.org, and we'll try and answer it right here on the air on the next episode of PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to Cast. We're joined today in studio by Nathan Denny's, who is the chairperson and founder of the Greater Hamden Heritage Alliance. And before we took our break, we were talking about both the history and the rebirth and renaissance of this neighborhood and the industrial corridor that supported it in the late 19th and then through the 20th century and, and into the 21st. And Nathan sort of signed off by saying it's, it's easy to be a historic preservationist around here because, at least in this neighborhood, because we have seen such a renaissance and people really see the value of these places and reutilizing them. And I know that you, when you moved into this neighborhood, realized there was no heritage group, there's no preservation mm-hmm. group, and so you helped to form one. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why you did that and what your organization works on?
1: I became interested in it while I was interning with Baltimore Heritage, and I had recently moved into the area in Woodbury, and I was so taken by the area. I I take the light rail every day to get from here down to Mount Vernon, and that path, it's going along the Jones Falls and you go by all the old mills as you're going down there and today was especially beautiful because there's this beautiful fog that was on the Jones Falls with the mills rising above the fog so it's like this incredibly idyllic and awe-inspiring trip to get downtown and it was so inspiring to me and I wanted to learn more about the history of the area and start documenting it and I was fortunate to find a, a group of people who were also interested in it who were also very talented as well and we're all really Good friends, and that made it really easy.
0: And so, what do you guys work on? Like, what, what's some of the things that you're doing right now?
1: Our our first major project was a walking tour brochure of the area, focusing on the historic buildings. And we did that in 2014, and we updated it every like biannually. Mm-hmm. And that really got things off the ground for us. And after that, we started giving walking tours of the area, and uh, more recently. We've partnered with Preservation Maryland and Baltimore Heritage on this Jones Falls wayfinding signage project.
0: Yeah. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, we're obviously pretty partial to it, so we'll give you some time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, uh it's covering eight sites along the Jones Falls from Mount Washington down to Remington. So it begins at Mount Washington Mill, which was the first textile mill built in the area um in the early 19th century and then works its way down to Remington.
0: The idea I guess is to kind of connect the history That's of right. the people who lived here with the places where they worked because I guess like a lot of industrial areas that have changed over time, you know, this area nowadays, you have so many people who have moved in who are new to the area, have no concept of what was here before them or how the neighborhood related to industry. You kind of lost that connection. You were talking before about how it was sort of the lifeblood of this community. And now it's kind of it's been severed in a sense. And so the idea is to try and knit that back together, at least with a story.
1: Exactly. We have all of these new people moving into these beautiful new apartments and they're drawn to these buildings because of the historic nature of them. And so this is a way to, to connect them to that history and also understand how those buildings connect back into the neighborhood. And one of the reasons we began the Greater Hamden Heritage Alliance in the first place was that we realized that Hamden had become like this really hip, cool area and everyone associated it with the avenue and all the great shopping up there. But we also understood that there's this great history there that you wanted people to experience as well. We also wanted to make sure that we were capturing the stories of the history of the area as it's so rapidly changing.
0: And so do you do oral history or do you actually like interview people? Or are you, how are you documenting this? We,
1: we do do oral histories. And uh, one of the things that we do is we have a, a regular event where we invite people to come to the library to tell stories about the neighborhood. So people bring in an object, a newspaper article, and they, and they talk about their experience in the neighborhood and their stories of its history. And that's been a great way to learn from people who have lived here for a long time,
0: and And so, what are the challenges associated with getting this group off the ground? I mean, are there challenges continue to be challenges for people who are maybe around the country in a similar kind of neighborhood where mm-hmm. you know things are going well, it's sort of changed, and they want to they want to hang on to or at least be able to tell that important story. What are some 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 advice that you might give them?
1: The, the biggest challenge for us was creating a structure for the group. We were all really good friends. And so it started with us just sitting around and talking a lot. And then we had to figure out, well, how do we actually do this stuff? Um, we were very fortunate to partner with Baltimore Heritage. And they're a 501c3 nonprofit who was able to act as our fiscal sponsor. So we didn't have to go through the process of becoming a 501c3 ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we got that benefit out of that. And I think another challenge is volunteer management we're all working as volunteers and we all have to be like respectful of each other's times and commitments and so it's that balance of wanting to do all these great things but also understanding that you know there's only so much you can do i think that's that's a really key part of any community organization is is volunteer management
0: so the future of this jones falls valley you know we have it sort of repopulated with you know a different mix it's a different character it's you know offices and apartments and restaurants and things like that where do you see the future of this place being what are some things that you're you're hopeful for what would you like to see happen what's next we've rehabbed a lot of the buildings but there's still more work to do where where does nathan see the jones falls going
1: there needs to be a a master plan for the valley uh, if you've traveled on Falls Road before, it's this very narrow, almost country-like road where cars are competing with cyclists and now pedestrians, and something needs to be done with that with that corridor to make it more accessible to all different types of users. And we've been working on master plans for the Jones Falls for the past 100 years, beginning with Olmstead. <laughs> um, there's always been like this plan for like this great park as part of the Jones Falls that comes around every, almost like every day decade or so. And now people are, again, are are interested in doing something with the Jones Falls Valley, especially looking at the the Falls Road corridor.
0: So are you optimistic for that? You kind of sarcastically mentioned that this happens, you know, it's been happening for the last 100 years. Every 20 years we get around and put together a nice master plan and then we wait 20 years and put together another one. Is there anything different that's going to happen this time?
1: I am optimistic. The big, the big difference today is that in the, in the past, it was industry that was here. And so they didn't have people actually living along the corridor. And so now you have all these people who are living here, they're going to demand a better quality of life. Whereas before the industry was really against turning the Jones Falls into a park, they wanted to keep it industrial. But now the industry is gone. And we have people who want it to be a livable place.
0: So that's a big thing that's sort of on the to-do list, and I I presume the Heritage Alliance will be involved in that and want to make sure that the culture and history and heritage of the place is is a part of that planning process
1: exactly and we're also uh, very interested in the environment and making sure that the jones falls is being cleaned and well kept Uh, unfortunately we had an oil spill somehow a truck turned over and spilled a bunch of oil in the jones falls a few weeks ago so some setbacks but
0: (laughs) yeah and there's also an issue with sort of raw sewage
1: yeah
0: there's no delicate way of saying that but just like a lot of urban waterways you know, this particular neighborhood, and this is a story that I'm sure is similar all across the United States, deals with, you know, lack of investment and wastewater and stormwater runoff, and we end up with a e. coli, you know, jumps in the Jones Falls, which is not good for anyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Every time it rains, it seems like hundreds of millions of gallons end up going into the Jones Falls. I am optimistic for the future of the Jones Falls. I mean, Baltimore is part of a consent decree, but the city has to get its act together in terms of pollution. So hopefully, we, we, we follow through with that. And I mean, we've been talking about a swimmable harbor for a long time. It doesn't seem like that's happening anytime soon, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to dive in just yet, but um, <laughs> but I'll be right after you, Nathan. <laughs> you know, the other question I want to, I want to ask you about, you know, so we've been talking about the neighborhood and then the industrial valley that's sort of in the middle of all of it. But running like a ribbon through the middle of it is an interstate that kind of skirts through and it actually covers up part of this Jones Falls that you're talking about, and sort of caps it almost, or at the very least, keeps it very dark all the time, which is a sad decision that was made in the mid-20th century. What do you think about the future of that? So called the Jones Falls Expressway, if people aren't familiar with it, I-83. You know, a lot of other communities, you know, all across the country propose the idea of daylighting water that was covered up by these things, or getting rid of these massive interstates that kind of cut through these neighborhoods. Has there ever been discussion about that? Do you think that that could perhaps be something that will happen in the future? What do you think about the future of that interstate that runs through the middle of your beloved neighborhood?
1: Well, we're fast uh, approaching a point where the city does have to figure out something to do about that because it's been around now for over 50 years. And eventually we'll have to decide, well, do we repair it or do we tear it down? I'm of the mind that we tear it down because the the Jones Falls is such a, could be such a beautiful asset for the city. And also not, I mean, even people in Baltimore City don't realize that the Jones Falls actually goes all the way through the city and dumps into the the harbor. And that's largely covered up by a conduit. So it would be great if, if the conduit was also removed and we had uh, this beautiful, like almost canal, Jones Falls, that was a real asset for the city. But it's, it's a pie in the sky idea right has now. Has it ever
0: been proposed? Does it anyone has. seriously
1: talk about it? It has been proposed. Well, now, now more than ever, the daylighting, especially in removing the Jones Falls Expressway downtown, has been getting some political legs. But the, in terms of removing the, all of 83 in the city and removing the conduit, that's a bit further out, I think.
0: Yeah. Something to, something to consider, something to work on. Yeah. And so, um, if people want to learn more about the Jones Falls, they want to learn more about the Hamden Heritage Alliance, how could they find more about that? Where would you start to send them?
1: Uh, the best place is on our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook slash uh, Greater Hamden Heritage Alliance, you'll find us there. That's where we post um, all of our updates. And if you want to learn more about the signage project, you can go to Preservation Maryland's website and go to Six to Fix and find our project there.
0: Yeah. So, Nathan, sort of as we move to our conclusion here, the toughest question for any preservationist your favorite building or place. We're excited to hear where this goes.
1: So I'm going to be bad and not choose a Hampton place.
0: I think that's probably actually good for you because, <laughs> you know, there'd be complaints <laughs> otherwise, I think.
1: Um, I'm going to go with um, the Evergreen Museum. It is one of the most, like, in interesting, unique places I can think of,
0: so tell people about it who aren 't familiar with it where is it who who lived there what 's the story behind it?
1: It is uh, a mansion for the the Garrett family. And the garretts were the barons of the b and o railroad, the first railroad uh, in the country, and one of their family members got hold of a Greek revival mansion in in North Baltimore which at the time was just basically countryside and they and they converted it into this much more modern and almost like quirky Mansion where uh, my my favorite character, there is the woman of the house, Alice Garrett, who was a real eccentric and big art collector and if you, you walk into the house and you see this massive painting of her dressed in this Spanish outfit with this like wry smile on her face and it's it's all about her and one of the coolest things about the place is that it has a personal theater that was designed by Leon Boxt, who was the um one of the designers for the Ballet Rue. And so the Russians would love to get their hands on on this theater. And she would perform a one-act show for her guests. So (laughs) Leon Box would design her outfits, and she would force everyone to come and watch her perform.
0: It sounds a lot like our office. I often force people to watch my (laughs) one-act show.
1: And also, it has a gold-plated toilet. Uh, is that right yeah it does okay
0: was not aware of that is that baltimore's only gold-plated toilet that you're aware of that i'm aware of but we never know and that's why preservecast exists to find (laughs) out these 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 answers to these questions well nathan it's been a pleasure to have you with us here today thanks for all the good work that you're doing and uh, look forward to talking with you again in the future
1: thank you
3: you don't need to open a history book to find us available online from iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as our website,
1: presmd.org. This is PreserveCast.
3: This podcast was developed under a grant from the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, a unit of the National Park Service. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Milestones Heritage Area, and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the National Park Service or the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training. This week's episode was produced and engineered by Stephen Israel. Our executive producer is Aaron Markovich. Our theme music is performed by the band Pretty Gritty. You can learn more about them at their website, prettygrittymusic.com on Facebook or on Twitter at PG underscore Pretty Gritty. To learn more about Preservation Maryland or this week's guest, visit preservationmaryland.org. While there, you can check out our blog and learn about what's current in historic preservation. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter at PreservationMD. And of course, a very special thank you to our listeners. Keep preserving.